History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 310th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. On this episode, we're bringing you our investigation of the Velisca Axe Murder House. And Kelly's going to be joining me, and you will also be hearing from the three listeners who joined us in several of the recordings that we're going to be sharing with you. And before we get into that, we want to welcome into the spooktacular crew, Tara. Jenny with one N and an I, Chris with a C-H, Catherine with a K, Jane, Joanna, Kenny, and Sarah with an H. Welcome, everybody. And now, this moment, Naughty. The moment Naughty was suggested by Nicole Caps Dixon. This past weekend, we drove through North Carolina. We made it through safely without running into the Boojum of North Carolina. The Boojum lives deep in the North Carolina Smokies where it loves to hunt for gems. It gathers them greedily and puts them in old jugs that it buries in the ground. Supposed sightings describe the creature as being a cross of a man and an animal with shaggy gray hair all over its body with only the face being bare. The Boojum stands nearly eight feet tall and has been compared to the Yeti. The legend claims the creature likes pretty girls. Young girls bathing in mountain streams would say that they would feel as if they were being watched and might even see an animal-like creature peeking out from the bushes. Patrons of the Eagle's Nest Hotel that was built by S.C. Satherwaite of Waynesville reported seeing the Boojum back in the early 1900s. It got so bad that they demanded of him that he put a stop to the creature in some way. He wouldn't need to do that because the hotel burned down in April of 1918. People say that the eyes of the Boojum are very sad, which makes one think that the Boojum is really nothing to be feared. Is the Boojum some weird cryptid creature? I don't know, but the legend of the Boojum certainly is odd. Hello, this is Victoria from victoriaslift.com. When I'm not taking those who must choose their destiny for a ride on the lift, I'm listening to History Goes Bump podcast. History isn't boring, it's terrifying. The past remains with us, and so do its spirits. Can you hear them calling? They want you to know their stories. Listen now to their voices and the truth from the past. And now, this month in history. In the month of October, on the 1st in 9-11, 
the Virgin Mary appeared to the church in Blacherne holding her veil over the praying faithful. This appearance came to be known as the Veil of Our Lady, and the feast is now observed on October 1st on the Orthodox calendar among the Slavic people. The symbol of the Virgin Mary holding a veil is believed to be protective. This appearance happened during a siege in Constantinople. St. Andrew of Constantinople was with several believers and his disciple St. Epiphanius holding a vigil in the Blakernai Palace Church. Several relics connected to Mary were stored at the church, including part of her belt, a robe, and her veil. As they prayed, the group saw not only the Virgin Mary, but also John the Baptist and some angels and saints. The Virgin Mary appeared in the center of the church and knelt as if in prayer, and she began to weep. She removed her veil and spread it out as if over the people gathering there, indicating her protection. The city was indeed spared of any bloodshed during the invasion. In a quiet neighborhood just a few blocks away from Velisca's downtown stands a very ordinary-looking white frame house. The crime that took place here was anything but ordinary. Six children and two adults would go to sleep on the evening of June 9th in 1912 and never wake up. A neighbor and family member would find the six members of the J.B. Moore family dead, along with Lena and Ina Stillinger. The crime scene was horrific and bloody since all the victims were killed with an axe. The murders were never solved, and justice never came. We featured the house back when the podcast first launched in October of 2014 on Episode 7. I never imagined that I would eventually visit and tour the house, much less spend an evening sleeping inside. Join myself, Kelly, and three listeners on this investigation of the Velisca Axe Murder House. Hey, Kelly, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Diane. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So as I asked you when it came to the squirrel cage jail, I'm going to ask you on this one, what were your first impressions of the house? Well, first and foremost, it was small. I mean, very small. I really have a difficult time imagining how a family of six could be murdered in their beds and not have you know, a lot of defensive wounds, how I, I just don't, I can't wrap my mind around it. I think that was the big question for all of us that both investigated the house and then we toured it earlier in the day with Jessica and Arena Garcia. And that was the big question we all had is how in the world did eight people die inside of this house and nobody woke up? So what ended up happening is you and I joined the last tour of the Velisca house on the night of our investigation with a couple of listeners, Jessica and Arena Garcia, who I just mentioned. I wouldn't say that they were afraid to spend the evening in it. We'll just say that they had other plans for the night. Yes, they were otherwise occupied. They had other stuff going on. (laughs) (laughs) This was our first time inside the house. And my first impression was the same as yours, Kelly. This house was really small, but it actually wasn't as small as I had envisioned it because I'd heard so many stories about how small it was. I felt like the kitchen was just this itty bitty little room. And when we actually walked into it, it was probably twice the size I thought it was going to be. 
Yes, the kitchen was actually surprisingly spacious considering how unassuming and tiny the house looks from the outside. Even the family area, the family sitting area was pretty large as well. The term rustic comes to mind as well. There's an outhouse out back along with a hand water pump, both indications that there is no running water or plumbing in this house. And there also is no electricity. Yes, it did get quite dark, that's for sure. Yes. The nice thing is there's a barn that's just a few feet behind it. And I believe the woman who owns this, her husband found it somewhere else and he took it apart board by board and brought it over and rebuilt it. And this is where they actually had a restroom, thankfully, because I certainly wouldn't want to be hanging out in an outhouse. Yeah, it, it was interesting having to leave the building to use the facilities multiple times in the darkness, but it was good. <laughs> I was thankful for it. You enter the house through the back door instead of the front door, and the kitchen is right there when you walk in. Obviously, none of the furnishings are original, but I can believe the house was similarly furnished with a large stove, small table and chairs, and hutch. Leading off the kitchen is a pantry, a living room, as Kelly was just describing, and a staircase that winds up to the second floor. The living room has the small bedroom off it, and this is where the Stillinger girls would be spending the night and were murdered. And this would actually be a center of activity for us along with the kitchen. It's those two rooms that we spent a huge bulk of our time in. Upstairs is an open room where JB and his wife Sarah slept, a larger room where the children slept, and the attic. I'd hope that the caretaker Johnny Hauser would be our tour guide. I've seen him on a few paranormal shows. I've heard him interviewed. But instead, we had a young woman who clearly had better things to do, I guess I would say. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I've never been on a tour that (laughs) the conversation moved so quickly. It was really difficult to actually keep up with the story that she was trying to tell us. She ran through the history of the family, the crime, and the aftermath, and I would say probably less than 10 minutes. Oh, easily. I was thinking more like five. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just like, wow, is this a race? (laughs) Yeah, it literally was difficult to keep up with the details. If we didn't already know the story and all the details, I would have definitely been lost. Oh, absolutely. And she didn't guide us through the house and tell us what each room was in particular, In her case, I I guess it probably wouldn't have been much of a tour anyway. So when she finished, she did let us explore. So we ran around the house for probably about 10 minutes after that, maybe 15 minutes. And we're checking out all the different areas. And Jessica asked the question that we all will contemplate throughout the evening. She said, it's such a small house. How come nobody woke up? And that's just it. How did someone slaughter eight people in this small home, some in bed next to each other, and nobody heard a thing or woke up, save for maybe one of the Stillinger girls? I know in some of the reports, it sounds like she had her arm up over her head and had maybe some kind of defensive wound, but she's the only one they think actually might have woken up. Cigarette butts were found in the attic doorway area. And the theory is that the killer was already in the house and waiting here when the family arrived home. But it's so close up here. I expected it to be a larger upstairs. Like, I just don't understand how, one, nobody smelled any smoke if he was smoking. Two, how did they not hear, like... Yeah, but smoke-wise... Like, you would think it would be, like, at least as loud as that, you know? like Or somebody grunting or something, you know, like, ooh. It didn't necessarily kill you the first hit. Right, you'd probably have a reaction. How did one person pull this off completely undetected? 
It just amazes me. It really just doesn't make any sense in my mind whatsoever. I just don't understand how one person could have pulled all that off. And when we describe the attic area, we do have pictures up on Instagram so that you could see what all of these different rooms look like. And it's hard to call this an attic because it really is just part of the second floor. It's not like its own separate area. What you do is the two rooms are kind of connected to each other by this little hallway. And then off of this little hallway is like a little, almost looks like a closet that opens up into the attic, which is not finished or anything. If you stand up and you're a little too tall, maybe like Kelly, there's nails that are coming through the roof that you would hit your head on. Yeah, I still have a hole in my head. (laughs) (laughs) So Jessica and Arena left along with the other visitors that were there for the last tour. And then Dolly, Kathy and Peter arrived. So now we have our team of five. We were supposed to be a team of seven. We really missed Lisa Weaver and her husband joining us. But her daughter had a volleyball tournament that came up last minute, and it was the same weekend. And so, of course, she had to go ahead and go do that, which actually ended up getting postponed because it was down here in Florida, and Dorian was coming through. And so the tournament got postponed. So she didn't get to do the investigation at Villisca, and she didn't get to see the volleyball tournament either. I know. I felt so badly about that. I really wanted to thank Lisa for paying for her spot because we had to have at least six people. We had to pay for at least six people. Let me put it that way. And so it saved us having to pay an extra bit of money. Yes, that was absolutely appreciated. We were really excited to begin our investigation. We were given the keys to the house and to the barn behind it that had the restroom and electricity. And the tour guide, again, was the same young woman. And she was like, do you want me to give you the backstory or anything like that? <laughs> and everybody was like, well, yeah, go ahead, and give it to us. The next 10 second tour with all the, the same information. <laughs> I think it was just that Kelly and I really wanted Dolly, Kathy and Peter to experience the fast forward that yes. we did. <laughs> so we decided to go into town and get some dinner because it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. And obviously we can't cook in the house or anything like that. So We go to the little downtown area. There's really not much down there. There's a few shops and there's this TJ's Cafe. The food was good and we enjoyed our waitress, although we all got the once over when we first entered. Oh, we sure did. You're not from around here, are (laughs) you? It was just like out of a movie. Everybody like turns and looks at you. But they were really friendly. They were very welcoming. So it was all good. They were. And as our server, Cassie, was leaving, she called back to us, you guys staying at the house? And of course, we were like, oh, yeah, yeah. Obviously, she knew what we were there for. (laughs) She told us to have fun and remember that nothing was open in town on a Sunday morning. After we finished dinner, we decided to hit the cemetery to visit the Moore's family plot. Dolly led the way as she'd already been to Villisca before. The entire family is buried side by side under the same tombstone that stretched vertically at least six feet, probably more. It was a long piece of granite. Yeah, that that really kind of put it into perspective. You you realize what happened there and you understand that the entire family and their friends were murdered. But just seeing them all laid out there, it just it was a lot. We paid our respects and did a live broadcast on the HGB Losers Club so that they could see it as well. And like you said, when you see a whole family buried together like that, and you know they were all buried at the same time. And all the same dates for their date of death. Yeah, it is very uh, moving and sad at the same time. Then we were heading back to the house.
English Victorian novelist Sir Edward George Earl Bulwer Lytton is credited as the first to coin the phrase, it was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were going to experience that within the walls of the Velisca house. A raging thunderstorm would keep the night sky almost lit up as bright as day with lightning for hours. I thought we brought the storm with us, to be quite honest. Yeah, usually these are the kind of thunderstorms that we get down here in Florida with a torrential downpour and heat lightning and all that good stuff. The only thing that I was really afraid of is that this was Iowa, and they have these things called tornadoes, which we don't get a lot of down here in Florida. And I'm so glad that you didn't bring that up at the time, because I literally didn't even think about that. I would have been so scared. Yeah, there was really nowhere for us to go because there is a cellar there, but they've got it padlocked. So we would have had to like break through the padlock in order to get down into the cellar if we needed to take cover during a tornado or something. Oh, I'd be so breaking that open. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the rain came down so hard and intense that the only time we found ourselves running about the house with what you might call anxiety was when the roof began to leak in several areas in the kitchen and we started grabbing pots to keep the water off the floor. Yes, I kept hearing the sound and it was literally like a faucet was turned on. I could not believe the amount of water that was coming through the ceiling. No. So when we first started investigating the house, it was still light out because it's summertime. So it didn't really get dark until about eight. So the storm started after it had gotten dark. And just imagine that you're in a pitch black house because there's no electricity and you're hearing almost what sounds like the rain's on the inside of the house. And I just kept standing there going, God, that water is like, it sounds like it's right in here with us. And finally, we took our flashlights and put them up towards the ceiling. We're like, oh my God, it is in here. Yeah, it was really coming through fast. This was an unusually intense storm, we were told by natives when we put stuff up about it. And they said, oh yeah, that was a heck of a storm that we had. Definitely not the kind of storm one wants to experience while investigating an infamously haunted house, especially when you've been told that lightning seems to help generate activity. We had several pieces of equipment with us from EMF detectors to audio recorders to a spirit box to dousing rods to flashlights, and we'll end up getting results with everything. Dolly had brought some old-fashioned candy as a trigger object, too. Root beer barrel hard candies. Kelly, I would say that it was an unspoken agreement that we were here to gain communication with respect, and we were more interested in the people who had once lived here and died here than the crime that was committed or the killer. Absolutely. I mean, I personally had no interest in bringing up those kinds of details in, in regards to their murder. I mean, these are children, spirits, if we were able to contact them, as well as the parents. And I, I just wanted to have positive reactions with them, not make them think of anything negative. This home has a reputation for having a bad energy, and people seem truly scared to stay overnight. Everybody that we mentioned to that we were going to the Velisca Axe murder house were like, oh my gosh, you guys are crazy. And of course, there's the stories out there about some of those paranormal investigators that were in there and the guy who stabbed himself with a knife. And obviously, when Ghost Adventures has gone through here, there's evil and demons. And we've seen on some of the other investigation programs that are on TV that they are talking to the killer and such. And my whole belief, Kelly, is that why would the killer be here? He didn't die here. And I truly believe my theory is this was somebody who was going across the country on the train doing axe murders. And if you guys want more details on that, I encourage you to check out the American Hauntings podcast. This last season, that's all they were talking about were all the axe murders that went across the country. And I really think that's what was going on here is that we had a serial killer. So why would he come back to just one of the scenes of his crimes? 
Right. And I tend to agree with that. It really just doesn't make any sense otherwise. I can honestly say that no one in our party had what I would call a scary experience. Did you feel scared at any point? Only when I fell on my chair. (laughs) We'll be talking about that in just a moment. We really enjoyed ourselves as the five of us bonded over a mutual interest in the paranormal. I really felt like we made some really deep friendships. I I mean, I already know Dolly. She's joined me on the podcast. We visited on the phone. I've met Kathy and Peter before when I was down in San Antonio, Texas. So I already knew them, but I feel like we really got to know them this evening because we spent from four o'clock in the afternoon until was it seven o'clock the next morning together? Yep, that's a lot of hours. And I think we had a great experience. I really, when we go in to do any investigation, I think a big part of your experience is going to be centered around your intentions. And I think everybody was very well intentioned within our group. And we just had a really nice time. We got to know each other a little bit better. And we had some really good experiences when we were doing the investigation, not only, you know, from a a spirit and human standpoint, I guess, but just together as a group. I believe based on the evidence we collected that the only spirits that we communicated with were children. I feel the same. I had three recorders, one I set up in the Stillinger bedroom, another I carried with me or set down in the kitchen at times, and then a smaller one that I don't use much, and I used it as a short-term recorder so we could rewind and listen back for answers to questions. And I know that Dolly had a recorder that she had turned on for the entire length of however long her battery lasted, I guess, because it went for hours and hours and hours in the upstairs. And and she hasn't told me if she'd caught anything on that or not. I know I put one in the Stillinger bedroom, and the only thing that I caught on that, other than hearing us talking in the background and the air conditioning kicking on and off, was an interaction that we're going to share that you had back there. I know something she caught. Snoring. Well, I know I snored, so I'm sure. Just a little bit, not very much. (laughs) We'll talk a little bit about the sleeping arrangements, but I definitely was not very comfortable. No, definitely not. Was not my most restful night's sleep and had nothing to do with the spirits. Well, the problem is they tell you to bring sleeping bags with you, but when you're flying in from Florida, you can't really bring sleeping bags with you. Yep, details. The first bit of audio I want to share features you joining us in the kitchen for a discussion about the fact that the EMF readers have been going off and sometimes seem to be doing it as an answer to questions. You also had the temperature gun out and you were trying to see if you could get an interaction with that. You'll hear Paul mentioned in this clip and that is because Paul is the one who mainly seemed to interact with us all evening. Paul was the youngest of the four more children. He was only five when a stranger bludgeoned him to death. Do these meters normally don't go off just with residual? I don't know that residual can set them off because I'm not sure. I don't know, but is it energy bouncing back that we're seeing? Yeah. I don't know what the science would be behind right. that. Yeah. Because it obviously takes energy for it to create it, mm-hmm. but it's not an interactive energy. Mm-hmm. It's just... That's the only thing I'm can think of is the reason why we think there's something residually happening happening is because something has absorbed that energy and right. is reflecting it back in some way right. so I don't know if so it's, it's not when it's reflecting energy. it if it would yeah. yeah emit enough to cause something to happen hadn't thought about it before uh-uh but I wouldn't good question yeah good question <laughs> but I wouldn't have I wouldn't think that it would but then why wouldn't it you know so it's yeah, yeah. true like, hmm but then when you ask it a question, it sets it off. You're like, well, 
Then it can't be received. Yeah, if, if there's a response. That's too much of a coincidence. Right. So you just feel like, oh, mm-hmm. goes off. Yeah. <laughs> right, when I ask a question. Yeah. Right. Because before we got the dousing rods, that's how we were using that, was mm-hmm. to get it to answer questions with that by setting it off, and it mm-hmm. was doing yeah, that one. the temp gun. Mm-hmm. The temp gun, it actually did it too, because we would ask it to drop it down a degree, and I'm like, how can it do that? But yeah. it was doing it. Right. And I even gave it a number. I was like, it was like three, three degrees. degrees, and it did it. And it went all the way down, boom, hit that number, and then went back up. I was like... And I did not, I mean, it's got a laser pointer, so I was not moving it at all. Mm-mm. She just kept pulling that same spot, and I said, can you get that down two or three degrees? Yeah, and then I just kept holding it. Because it was like at 79, and I said, can you take it down to 76? Mm-hmm. And boom, down to 76 it went. So I was like, I don't know how that worked, but... Yeah. I know on my temperature <laughs> yeah. Well, are you able to change temperatures? And I could see like heating something up. You I blow on it or breathe on oh, it heavily, well, her, but yeah. to have it go down. Right. But if you put your your hand next to it, you'll probably be able to drop the temperature. You want to try that for me? I appreciate it. I thought that was your makeup bag, and it's even cooler that it's not. <laughs> I've got a hundred of these, and they have little tags on them, that, so I know what's in them. Can you drop it down? Can you touch because it? Because I'm a little... That'll make it get cold. Persnickety. Persnickety. I was going to say, don't say right, persnickety. Right, that red dot Look, watch. That causes me See, to be that. does not hurt. Can you just do it real quick? If you come near it, it should drop the temperature. Oh, it's going down. It's working. Thank you. Can you do it more? Wow, thank you. Can you do it even more? Can you stay there a little bit longer? Please? Thank you very much. That's great. That's pretty cool. Yeah, How far so did it, it was, go down? It was at 72.0, and then it, it was like hovering right around there, and then it dropped down to 71.1. So, I mean, it's one degree, but considering I had it there that whole time when I was starting, it wasn't moving at all. It was staying right on it, and then it dropped it down. Yeah, so that's always pretty neat when you get a response that way. And it's not typically like this big, huge, drastic change. But with the laser temp gun, you can see exactly where you have it pointed. So when you have it changed that location of where the laser is actually pointed, and it does respond in that manner, it is pretty neat. Especially when it was doing it as you were asking it to do it. That's what really makes the difference to me. Well, exactly. So you decide that you're going to leave us and head into the Stillinger room. And actually, I had no idea where you'd gone. I, we were just all visiting out in the kitchen. I was like, oh, I wonder where Kelly disappeared Kathy. to. Yeah. We'd set up the flashlight in the living room to do the flashlight experiment and to see if we could get it to turn on. And it didn't. So Kelly decided to take the flashlight in the bedroom with her and she set it on the bed. You're going to hear that in this audio. As we're all sitting out in the kitchen visiting with each other, we hear this commotion coming from the room because... <laughs> Kelly misses the chair that she's going to try to sit in. I didn't miss it. <laughs> it 
Sorry, it was just a lot lower. (laughs) (laughs) It was a lot lower than what I perceived because I was in the middle of trying to talk to Lena and Ina. And so I just went to take a seat without really looking at where I was going. And I just kept going. I kept going down. (laughs) It kind of took me by surprise. Well, the clumsiness seems to have broken the ice with the girls. And so then you got out the dousing rods so that you could do a little session in there. And I believe you got some great results. Yeah, the chair's a rocking chair and it's a little lower than I thought. So that's that's on the recorder. (laughs) Oh my. If there's anybody in here, I hope you just got a good laugh out of that. (laughs) Because I'm laughing. (laughs) I'm not very graceful, to say the least. You know how these work? You cross them for yes, and swing them away for no. I'd really appreciate it if you want to communicate. Is there anybody in here with me? Thank you. I have kids of my own. They're a little bit older now, though. Is Lena in here? Thank you, Lena. I appreciate that. How is that one stuck? Sorry, is it not working good? Is Ina in here? Aww. How are you doing, girls? Doing good? Thank you. There's a lot of toys in here, huh? Really, yeah. I wish I had brought some toys. I'm sorry that I didn't. We had to fly on an airplane to get here. We can only bring a little bit of stuff. I should have brought you something. I know, I'm sorry. Do you like it when people visit you and they're nice? Oh, good. I'm glad. Are the rest of the Moore family here, too? That one's tough to move Thank you. Do you like to play games in here together? Do you play games like hide-and-seek? No. I'm not sure. Do you play any games? No. That makes me sad a little bit. Lena, does your family ever come visit you here? Or is your family mainly now hanging out with the Moors? Yeah, I understand. That must be hard. Yes. 
Well, thank you for taking some time to talk to me. I do appreciate it. Do you know how to turn on the lights that we have, those flashlights? Thank you. That's a quick guess. Do you, hang on, wait. Do you know how to turn on that electric torch that just has one light when we ask to turn it on? Thank you. If I brought it in here, would you do it for me? Thank you. Okay, I'm going to go get it. I know it's really bright. Where would it be best for me to set this? Should I set it on the ground? Or on the bed? Is that okay? I don't want to put this candy right there because it's kind of sticky. I'll set it right here on top of the bubbles, okay? So if you want that, you can have that. That's a sassafras or with your candy. I would really love it if you could turn that flashlight on for me. It's just something that's really different that I haven't had a lot of experience with, so that just would just really make me so happy. Would you try to do that for me, please, Lena? If you don't want to, it's okay, but I would really appreciate it. Well, this one's hard to turn, huh? Okay. Even just a little tiny bit to turn it on. And I think you have to really kind of heat it up to make that happen. Because it's pretty cold. Thank you. Diane, the flashlight work from Lena. Thank you, Lena. Oh. <laughs> Thank you very much, Lena. Can you please turn it off now? <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Did you see oh, I just got chills. Thank you so much, Lena. I really, really, really appreciate that. That's very nice. Is that recording right there? It is. Just the sound, though. Yeah, it's the sound. She just turned it on for me. Lena, don't be afraid, but can you please just turn it on one more time? Does everybody else can see it, too? I would so appreciate it. (laughs) That was really neat. Well, you saw that happen because you sound very tickled back here. <laughs> <laughs> you could just hear you going, blah, 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 and then all of a sudden you went, ah. <laughs> Are you a little shy? Let me see if she's still here. Lena, are you still with us? Yes. Thank you. Thank you for turning on the flashlight. All right, Lena, I know I said just once really quick, but could you please turn it on again? Thank you. (laughs) I know it takes a lot of energy to do that. Yeah, it does. I know you have to warm it up, I think, because it's so cold in here. I mean, she said she would a little bit ago, and it it took a little bit, but then she did. And you saw when I asked her to turn it off, she turned it right off. That was amazing. I told them that I hoped that they were laughing at me. Oh, thank, thank you, you, Lena. I appreciate that. <laughs> you are amazing. Thank you, Lena. Can you please turn it off now? I don't know if she likes it when it's being filmed, because I literally said nothing in here is filming you doing. Uh, can we turn it off? Can you please turn it off? 
We're not going to film anymore. We didn't catch that either. If you could just shut it off. <laughs> thank wow. you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So as you guys heard, the flashlight turned on and off a couple of times, and it was really cool because obviously it had done this for us the evening before when we were at the Squirrel Cage Jail, and Dolly was there for that, but this is the first time Peter and Kathy got to experience it. And that was the first time I've ever asked it directly, like personally from me, and it just was a real neat... I I sound like a crazy person talking to myself (laughs) when I'm in there with the girls. I thought it was cute, though, because you really were having a conversation with them. Right. Well, and I I just make that assumption. I feel like they can hear me and I feel like they can interact with me. I I definitely got that feeling. When I was sitting out in the kitchen with all of you, I kept getting this feeling like I was drawn to go sit in that room. And so once I went in there, it was just all about the conversation. And I have to say that I kind of suggested to you that I'm beginning to wonder if you don't have a little bit of the empath thing going on with you because... You do seem to get a lot of reactions from spirits wanting to communicate with you, touch you. And as we were listening back to the audio, you were getting pretty emotional about the interactions that you were having with what we believe were the Stillinger girls. Yeah, well, I mean, it did kind of make me sad when they were saying that they didn't play games. It's one of those things where you wish them to still have some kind of a childhood in terms of having to be in that location. Yeah, I think that's the thing that's hard for me because I've moved from being someone who didn't even think that there could be child ghosts, that these were always something that was trying to mimic a child but wasn't actually a child, to believing that, yes, there are some ghosts that are children. And that's always really hard for us to, I don't know, think about in our brains because it's like, I I can't imagine being trapped in a child's body for the entire afterlife or however that works. And still having like the mindset of a child, maybe not quite understanding what's going on. And obviously, we're asking them to do things like turn on this flashlight, touch this temperature gun, talk into this recorder. And you were talking about how we came on an airplane. And I kept thinking, do they even know what we're talking about? Have they gotten updated because of all these people coming into the house? But this is still a very rustic house. It's not like there's a TV that's moved into it or something. Right. That's true. But for me, at least, it feels like they would have some some sort of awareness and understanding of a lot of the things that we have going on these days, especially just because that particular location has so many people going in and out of it. Dolly had a piece of equipment, a paranormal toy, I'd like to call it, with her that we didn't get out for the jail, but we did get it out here at the Velisca house, and this was a spirit box. Now, I've only done an investigation once before with a spirit box when we were at the Waverly Hills Sanatorium. The people who were giving us the tour had a spirit box up on the fifth floor, and that's the one that told us all to get out. And I was like, okay. But otherwise, I haven't really had a whole lot of experience with sitting down and trying to listen to one of these. And it is really difficult. None of us really knew how to use it. So I'm sure if you have somebody who knows all the technical stuff about it, it works a little bit better. And so it was spitting out things that seems like it was saying stuff to us, but it was really hard to understand. And it was so quick. But I'm going to play a bunch of different clips for you. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're going to listen to this, know that you're going to get a lot of static. 
and you want to have both earbuds in. I know some people sometimes only put one earbud in. That's the way I usually listen to podcasts when I'm cleaning the house because I don't want to seem rude to my clients and like I'm not listening to them if they need to talk to me. But the way the recorder recorded what was going on with the spirit box, it has our voices on one of the channels and then the spirit box on the other. So unless you have both earbuds in, you're not going to get the full effect of this. I'm going to play this first one for you and we'll see what you guys think it's saying. What did you think that was saying, Kelly? I thought that it's saying I'm here. Yeah, it is really difficult to discern. Honestly, listening to that is a little bit disconcerting for me just in regards to the feedback or the static from it. But it does sound like that's what's being said. But again, as I listen back to myself saying, what did it say? I mean, I kind of have that same feeling just because it sounded very intentional, but I wasn't totally sure as to what it was. Then I ask about pets. Did we get an answer? Did your pet have a name? I feel like it said Stiltskin. It does sound like Stiltskin. I agree with that. And I'll go ahead and play it again. Did your pet have a name? Can you tell us the name of your pet? Then we had this weird interaction. What was your favorite subject? Did you like to read or math? Did you play any sports? Baseball? Kickball? Football? So what was weird about this, Kelly, is that I feel like it was saying a blue jersey. I definitely heard that as well. So what happened is I'm asking it about academics, reading, math, that kind of thing. I didn't ask about sports yet. It said a blue jersey. Clearly, none of us heard anything like that because you'll hear as I play more of these that we repeat back what we think we hear. And none of us said, oh, did you guys just hear Jersey? And then I start asking about sports. I didn't ask about sports because I thought I heard it say Jersey. I didn't realize that it even said Jersey till I was listening back to the audio making the recordings for this. It's too funny. They, they had a premonition. It was. It was almost <laughs> like that my subconscious heard it. Because I mean, sometimes Possibly. I think that's what happens. And then that's why I asked about sports. Yep, that could be. I ask about the school name and we get this. What was the name of your school? Did your school have a name? I felt like it was saying, on your right? That's exactly what I heard also. 
So I don't know what that had to do with the school name, if it was telling us somewhere it was located. Again, I don't know. Maybe we were just getting some weird stuff coming through the spirit box, too, that didn't pertain to anything. I'll go ahead and play that again. What was the name of your school? Did your school have a name? I ask what city we're in and I can't understand what is said. What city are we in right now? Do you remember? I'm going to go ahead and play that again and see if any of you can figure out what it's saying. And if you guys do, write it down and then email me and let me know. What city are we in right now? Do you remember? I think it almost sounds like on your Facebook. It's so weird. I think somebody's been spending too much time on social media. Okay, I'm going to play it again. <laughs> see if see if that's what you hear. What city are we in right now? Do you remember? <laughs> I heard it's on your Facebook, but I think only because you suggested it. <laughs> Okay. I mean, there's no way that that could be if we're talking to one of these, you know, spirits from way back in the early 1900s. I ask about chores and we'll see if you guys hear what I thought I heard. Do you have to do any chores around the house, like milk the cows or feed the chickens? Did you have to do So Kathy there says, there it is. And I'm almost thinking it's saying, there he is. I'll play it again. Did you have to do any chores around the house? Like milk the cows or feed the chickens? Did you have to do This next one was just random, and I have no idea what was being said. So again, if you guys think you know what's being said here, I'd love to hear your suggestions. I'll go ahead and play it again. Yeah, we got a lot of that from the spirit box where it was like it was saying something, but I just couldn't make it out. Yeah, it's, you know, it it might work differently for someone that knows how to use it. I don't think at this point in time, it's one of my favorite devices. It's really hard for me to understand, but definitely was interesting. And you could tell when we end up stopping the session with it, your brain and your ears go, oh, thank God. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Finally, they can relax. This one is very clear. I think this is Kelly asking if it's okay that we're using the spirit box. And here's the answer that we get in regards to that. That was one of the clearest we got all night. Was yeah, that was exactly. definitely loud and clear. Next one is random. Trying to get into the... I'm not quite sure. We'll see what you guys think. Trying to get into the... 
It almost sounds to me like it's saying trying to get into... And I just heard trying to get in. I'll go ahead and play it again. Trying to get into... Yeah, so it, it sounds similar to trying to get in. Then there's this one. See what you think. So we all thought it was saying buy a hat. And I have no idea why we didn't ask a question or anything. It just that popped out of it. I was worried about having a bad hair day after sleeping there that night. So <laughs> it was giving me a suggestion. It's very helpful. I gotcha. Then there's this one. We're all like, what? Let me go ahead and play it again. I thought it was saying something like, we'll give it to you. It still makes me say, what? (laughs) (laughs) Now, not too far away from the Velisca Axe murder house is the train. And you can hear it as it's coming through. We heard it many, many times throughout the evening. And on this little clip, we're talking about the train. And I'm wondering if you guys will see what words you think you hear. And then I'll go ahead and say what we thought was being said. And I think we actually say in the clip what we hear. So this little clip here, Kelly, to me, was the best interaction we had all evening. Yeah, it definitely seemed more interactive and responsive. I think it was Kathy who was like, did it just say patient or station? And I just got to thinking they both sound similar. But since we were talking about the train, you could hear the train. I'm like, I'm thinking it's station. And so then when we decided to go with that, it really felt like it was saying that it went to the city and that it was going to see friends. That's what I got out of it. I'll go ahead and play that whole segment again for you guys. So listen for Station, City, and Going to See Friends. You hear the train? Would you like to hear the train go by and blow its whistle? ride the train anywhere? And if you did, where did you go? Oh, city. Like city. 
What city did you go to? Can you say that again? We couldn't understand you. Did you go to Chicago ever? Or Omaha? St. Louis? My friends. I offer some Skittles and we think we get some kind of reaction to that. If you turn on that flashlight, there's Skittles here too. These are hard candies. You might like them, they're chewy. They taste like apple and cherry. I'm going to go ahead and play it for you again. If you turn on that flashlight, there's Skittles here too. These are hard candies. You might like them, they're chewy. Tastes like apple and cherry. I didn't know if it was saying yep, yup, or yuck. I kind of got yuck. <laughs> I initially thought that it was saying yuck, so I'm like, maybe they don't like cherry just like you. Yeah, I definitely don't. <laughs> this one sounded weird to me, like there's another voice saying the same thing that sounds like a young girl. So when you're listening to the male voice, and we, it was weird how it seems like we were getting the same male voice through almost everything, Kelly. Yeah, I always think that that's really odd with these because typically you would expect since it's tuning into different channels and very intermittently kind of putting things together, you would think that the tone of voice would change quite a bit. Yeah, that you would get different and or even female coming through. I mean, we do have female disc jockeys and things like that or that right. you would even get music coming through or something. So this one, listen really close to behind the male as well. It's really hard to hear. I could hear it with my headphones when I was initially listening to this clip. I'm going to go ahead and play it again. Can you turn the flashlight on? Yeah, it's something that I'm not hearing it as well now that I'm playing it back for you, Kelly. Yeah, I, I actually don't hear it with the particular headphones on. Yeah, when I had my other earbuds in that are a lot easier to listen through, I, especially if you guys have some noise-canceling ones, that might even help a little bit more. It just sounds like a young girl echoing the exact same thing in the background. We ask for a name, and this is what we got. Can you tell us your name? My God. And I'll go ahead and play that for you guys again. Can you tell us your name? Frank. So it sounded to me like he was saying his first name and a last name. I couldn't make out the last name, but the first name sure sounded like Frank. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I, I couldn't make out a last name, but if, if he was answering you, I definitely heard the Frank. And I don't know who that would be. <laughs> and what's interesting is all the interactions that we had seemed like they were with kids until we were using the spirit box. Well, maybe it's just harder to control the sounds to make it sound like a child. I don't know. <laughs> that could be. I, n none of us know, really. So we just mentioned that we seemed like we were getting the same male voice as you guys are hearing. It sounds like the same male voice every single time, except for this time. I'll go ahead and play that for you again. 
I can't understand what it's saying, but it is definitely a totally different voice, different tonage, and it almost was clear, but I still can't understand it. It definitely seems more clear, but I cannot make out what it's saying. I mean, it almost sounds like it's going the Cardinals or something. It's just weird. I don't know. Somebody has sports on the brain. So we finally shut off the spirit box. I'm sure all of you who are listening to this episode are like, thank God. That's how I felt. It, it's, I don't know. It's a lot. I have a difficult time listening to it. I kind of went back and forth. Do I play these for everybody or not? But I thought it'd be kind of fun for people to hear that we were getting maybe something coming through. Well, I like it. It's definitely interesting. And it's just another thing to add to the group as far as research, trying to find out more information. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's always going to be as easy. But I like having that addition in regards to another option for investigating. So we've turned off the spirit box. And just to give you guys all a feeling like you're with us, we're kind of sitting in a circle in the kitchen. Dolly's sitting at the table. I'm sitting at the table. Where were you at, Kelly? I think you were near the stove, weren't you? Yeah, I was sitting by the stove. And then Kathy and Peter were across the room a little bit, sitting over by where there was this hutch across the way. And I want to go ahead and play this audio of us discussing the spirit box results and some other things and kind of give you guys a feeling of being there with us having this discussion. Well, it seemed to me like we were getting some answers. The problem is they say it so fast and our ears are trying to, you know, piece out something. And say, well, you're just grabbing pieces, but it's going so fast, it's hard to to say that it could, it stays the same amount on each station. Mm -hmm. So to get a whole word. It's not possible. It's not because it's it's it, it, it's it's skipping. It's not like you pick up a conversation where it's like, well, hello, friends. You know, I mean, you, right. there's no and you never time. hear things like the Celtics or something like no. that. No, there's Celtics no time. win or you know, because yeah. if you would get something like that, you'd be like, oh, that was just what was on the radio, right? Yeah, but it doesn't stay on any station long enough to pick up. It it's the combination of three, four stations right. that make that one word. <laughs> you ever see that I don't the documentary but I can't remember what it is where they had they blindfolded the one guy oh yeah and I know that the Newkirks who have What's it the uh, Weekend Weird they they it's it's a it's something, something method it's a method yeah um, whereas the, you're Estes, blindfolded it's like Estes out. I yeah. think it's Estes method and something like because that because I think Estes they method. they they yes it is it's well, you've got the Estes Park shirt on. It's the Estes <laughs> method, and it was when they were at the Stanley. Mm-hmm. Is when they oh, they created it. Oh, okay. And the have you watched their documentary on Hellier? That's the one I was talking about. Okay. That's, yeah, and they they blindfolded him and, and put he, the the headphones on yeah. the spirit box, so all he could hear is this spirit box. He couldn't hear. Right. They asked questions, and yeah, he was just he was saying what, what he, he was, was hearing, hearing, and they were they were right on. Yeah, because they were talking. And that's fascinating to me because you're like, if they really can't hear, mm-hmm. how in the world are they pulling those words out? But, I mean, if we, we know the question, we can we, make, it we can we make our mm-hmm. mind right. hear. Manipulate the words that right. are coming out of it. But if you have no idea what the question, you say nine, you know, blue. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. you don't know the question. Yeah. You're just giving an answer. Right. So, yeah, it is the Estes method. I didn't know it had a method. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it had a name, and now I know where it came from. Yep. You know, I don't believe in coincidences, Kelly, that Kathy's wearing an Estes Park sweatshirt. 
oh, we were talking right. about this. It was the craziest thing because I was trying to think of what the name of it was. And I can't believe I actually pulled it out because I have a hard time remembering stuff. And then all of a sudden, Dolly's like, like your shirt. And she yeah, points exactly. over at Kathy and it was like, oh, my God, how weird. So this is back in January of 2016, and this was reported in the weekandweird.com website. Uh, the investigators were Carl Pfeiffer, Connor Randall, and Michelle Tate, and they'd been trying to figure out some way to use a spirit box in this kind of method, and they'd been thinking about it since 2011, and they finally came up with this idea. What if they could isolate the noise from an SB7 spirit box and fed it through a person? So basically, that's what they're doing is feeding a spirit box through a human being and they have blindfolds on and these noise-canceling headphones on so that all they can concentrate on are these words that are being spit out. And then they just say the words as they come to them. And they don't know what people are asking to get those words to come through. And so it's definitely something that I eventually would like to try. It's just a matter of buying all the equipment and stuff. Sure. And I, I definitely feel like that may be a little bit easier to get better results or understand what's going on, you know, when we're currently interacting with it, because it, it's really too easy for somebody's thought to be swayed when they can hear the questions that are being asked. So I, I think that that's a great idea. So we had all these recorders with us. And I had the little handheld one that we were asking questions and rewinding back to see if we caught anything. Hours and hours and hours and I think, Kelly, we only maybe caught this one EVP. I'm going to go ahead and play it for everybody. I'm going to play the original first, and then I will play the amplified version and see if people hear it. And there was like little things that happened there, which I was just like, mm-hmm. sure. it's big. You know, a lot of things, and nothing tragic happened in there. It was just, but his floor was the maternity ward. And so, lots of- so it was towards the beginning there. I'll go ahead and play it again. And there was like little things that happened there, which I was just like, mm-hmm. it's, sure, it's big. You know, a lot of things. And nothing tragic happened in there. It was just, but his floor was the maternity ward. And so, lots of- And now I'll go ahead and play the amplified version of where I amplify what I believe is the EVP. And there was like little things that happened there, which I was just like, mm-hmm. sure, it's big, you know, a lot of things, and nothing tragic happened in there. It was just, but his floor was the maternity ward, and so lots of. So we were in the kitchen when I was doing this, and in here it seemed like we were having a lot of interaction with Paul, and I don't know, sounds like a young little boy saying something. I'll go ahead and play it again. And there was like little things that happened there, which I was just like, mm-hmm. sure, it's big, you know, a lot of things, and nothing tragic happened in there. It was just, but his floor was the maternity ward, and so lots of. So I couldn't understand what was being said there, Kelly. It was almost like you know how little kids will kind of mumble something like mirror, mirror. What was really interesting about that is you were actually recording with the one mini recorder mm-hmm. and rewinding it and playing it back. All of us were sitting there and we heard it as soon as you played it back and our eyes kind of got big because we knew, you know, what the others were saying and the tones of voices and everything. And it, it definitely jumped out. 
Absolutely. We everybody went, whoa, what was that? And I think we had just been talking about candy around that time frame. And I thought that perhaps when we were replaying it back and and heard it, didn't Dolly think that it sounded like a little kid going, mm, mm, like enjoying the candy? I mean, I have no idea. That, that's what she thought. She thought that it was a little kid going, mm, mm. And that was where she kept pointing to the root beer barrel. And that's what she'd brought the last time that she stayed over in the Velisca house. She'd brought these little root beer candies. And so it was like she was telling him, I brought them before and here I brought them again. Yeah. And she did keep mentioning it and she was unwrapping them and setting them on the table. We do eventually return to the Stillinger room and the flashlight did turn on for us again. And Kathy, I think, was sitting in the rocking chair this time and we had the flashlight up on the dresser. And so when it turned on, it was right in her face. <laughs> yeah, I felt bad for her. <laughs> I mean, she was like, really whoa. Bright. But then she was like, wow, because I mean, all of a sudden the flashlight was on. And then I I don't think they turned it off. I, You know what? I think they did after a little while when we asked them to, it finally kind of blinked itself off again. So one thing that we haven't mentioned yet is how helpful the spirits were. That's true, because the flashlights didn't just turn on back in the Stillinger room. I'd forgotten about this till you reminded me. Yeah, so we were, I, I believe it was when we were running around trying to find pans to collect the rainwater that was pouring in. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So that was when I had my experience where I was running around trying to find, you know, a light, essentially. I forgot where the flashlight was. And I said, oh, I need a flashlight. And I went running to the Stillinger room where it had been left. And literally, it turned on. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, here's a light for you. And maybe it was vibration, but I don't think it was. It was almost like they were just being helpful. Because then later on, Dolly needed to run outside and she needed a light. And she came back. She said, oh, I need a light. I think she said it or maybe I reminded her to grab one, but it literally turned on right before she took it. So it was like they were being helpful. Yeah. I mean, she was reaching for the flashlight and it was sitting there on the kitchen table and bink, it turned on and we were all like, whoa, thank you. Yeah. And it was pretty cool. It was. That was very cool. Then we went upstairs and sat around and visited and tried to get some kind of communication upstairs or something to happen. We really didn't have anything happen upstairs. And then we also, during the storm that we're having, we were feeling really bad because we'd made a little friend this evening Aww. and this little friend stuck around with us the entire night. And we felt so bad because we could hear it outside while this storm is raging, but we couldn't bring it into the house with us. I wanted to bring her home so badly and I'm not, no offense, I'm not that much of a cat person. So sorry, listeners, I do enjoy some, but she was the biggest motorboat. She was so loving. She just wanted to snuggle up and be with you. And every time we would go outside to like go to the bathroom, she would follow us to try to go into the barn or she was always trying to come into the house. So we were really having to watch ourselves to make sure she didn't follow us. But she was very attached to us. She was really sweet. And she was constantly doing that purr meow sound that, that cats will do when they're kind of talking to you. Mm -hmm. So we decided around midnight that we would go ahead and turn in. Kathy and Peter had brought their sleeping bags. So they rolled those out into the living room and they slept on the floor down there. We went upstairs and Dolly had a rollout sleeping bag or whatever. She put it on one of the beds up there. And then you and I got on the other bed and we kind of laid long ways on it because it was against the wall and there was no way I was going to be sleeping against the wall if I had to like get out of there. No, I was going to sleep right up next to you too. I was not going to be taking that position either. And we started with our feet. I mean, I had my feet on the ground and was just kind of laying there because I really didn't want to lay on this bed. It, it, it smelled bad. 
Yeah, it was very mildewy, and I can't even describe the scent, but it was horrible. And I threw my jacket over the both of us as kind of a cover. It was the worst situation sleeping I think I've ever had. We both pulled our hoods up over our heads. Yeah, so I didn't want to my... not touch anything. <laughs> I didn't want my hair on that bed. It was just like, ah. Uh. You were very brave hanging your feet over the edge, though, where the bed was up off the floor. I kept mine tucked up. <laughs> I thought I was brave the whole night because I used to be pretty afraid of the dark. And so I'm like, I am in a freaking haunted house with no lights I just couldn't believe I was like, God, I'm being really brave. So yeah, I guess just having my feet hanging off the side of the bed for the monsters wasn't bothering me. (laughs) Well, you know, throughout the whole entire experience, I did not feel any negativity Mm -mm. in that house whatsoever. No, there was if people were to ask me, is there something negative in that house? Absolutely not. There's nothing negative in there. Didn't feel any heaviness. Nothing. And uh, we got up a couple times to pee because we are older women. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I I literally tried not to drink as much water that night, too, because I didn't want to have to keep going outside. No. And I have to say, I don't think I really slept much that night. I kind of was in and out of dreams and things like that. But the house was quiet all night. I didn't hear so much as a pin drop, really. No, not at all. We talked about a lot of things throughout the evening. As I said, we were bonding over our paranormal experiences. And one of those things was the color of spirits. I'm going to go ahead and play this audio for you guys. It'll be interesting, too. I don't know if anybody's ever had the experience here like we did when we were at Pike Mansion, when you have all the lights out and the spirits present as the colors. I don't know if anybody's ever had that happen here. Like you see... Yeah, because when we were at McPike Mansion... And how was that called up? I mean, what caused that to happen? I don't know how she would know. Well, here's what happened. We had a medium with us, and I think the medium who's there regularly says she knows who the people are. Okay. That she knows this is... Henry's in front of me, and every time I see Henry, he presents as a black shadow. I can't remember what the name of the woman was that was standing in front of me the whole time. But let's say that her name was um, Mary... And she said, Mary presents as purple. And you know, sometimes when you close your eyes at night, mm-hmm. sometimes you'll see like light and sparkles of color and things like that when your eyes are, or at night when you're trying to focus on stuff, yeah. sometimes you'll see like fuzzy mm-hmm. stuff because your eyes are doing weird things. Well, I was sitting there and I was sitting in a chair like this and Kelly was sitting diagonal from me and then there was another girl sitting here and she was probably as far from me as the stove here. And then the medium was sitting right in front of me. And then there was people all around us, but I was facing a wall, so there wasn't, and there's no light down in the cellar at all. And I'm sitting there with my eyes, and I'm looking straight ahead, and all of a sudden I see purple, like this. And I'm like, oh, my eyes must be trying to, you know, focus in the dark and adjust to it. So I was waiting for a little bit, and I'm like, that's really weird. And like, everywhere I was looking, I was just seeing purple, just purple in front of me. And I mean, it was purple, like, I don't know how to describe it. Almost like a, like a, it would be like the sunburst. Like it would mm-hmm. boof and get bigger and roll around. And then it would kind of fade out and then it would boof and then it would go like this. And I was just, everywhere I was looking, I was just seeing purple all around me. And I'm like, am I? Is it just my eyes? Am I imagining right. things? And so then... And this is prior to her saying yes. purple. And so then the medium says, well, um, Mary will present as purple. And she's going through and saying like, Sarah usually would show up as red... This person will show up as white. And so she said that, and I said, well, I'm really seeing a lot of purple in front of me. And then all of a sudden, Kelly goes, well, I've seen, I'm seeing purple in front of you. And this girl goes, there's been purple in front of you for a while. 
So they were seeing it in front of me too. So I'm like, okay, well, it's not my eyes playing tricks on me because other people yeah. are seeing it. Little did I know, Kelly, I, I when I was listening back to all the audio, I forgot we'd had this discussion. And so isn't it weird that I was asking, I wonder if anybody ever sees spirits as colors in this house, because by dawn, I'm going to have that experience again. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So what happened is we're upstairs. It's probably about, oh, I'd say 530 in the morning. We've gotten up. We went to the bathroom again. We come back and we're laying down and sleeping. And I I knew I wasn't going to go back to sleep. And so I'm just kind of laying there and I'm looking at the ceiling and then I can hear the train in the distance. And so I was like, oh, I love trains. And so I was just really enjoying listening to the train because we can't hear a train where we live here. So I just always think it's so cool. And I'm just looking up at the ceiling and all of a sudden I see the same kind of distinctive purple thing like what I saw at McPike Mansion, a little lighter in color and smaller. Part of the reason why I think it might have been lighter is it's dawn. So there's a little bit of ambient light in the room because there are shades drawn, but you could still see some of the light that's coming through. And I was just like, am I seeing this? Maybe my eyes are being kind of weird because it's almost dawn. And I had been looking at my cell phone for a little bit. So I thought, well, maybe it was because I was looking at my cell phone and my eyes are just trying to adjust. So I closed my eyes. I opened them again and I'm still seeing the purple. And then I closed them again and I opened it and they were gone. And the train had stopped at the same time. So I was like, you know what, I I probably was just seeing things. So then the train comes by again, probably 10 minutes later, I'm thinking maybe 15. And I'm like, oh, cool, there's the train again. And shortly after the train started, here I see this purple on the ceiling again. And at that point, you had woken up. And so I was like, I'm going to ask Kelly if she's seeing anything on the ceiling, because if she's seeing it, then it's not just my eyes being weird. So I said, Kelly do you see anything up here on the ceiling? And I was kind of pointing to where I could see this purple thing. And she was like, well, no, not really. And I'm like, do you see the color purple anywhere? And she's like, no. So I'm like, okay, maybe I'm just seeing things. So in my brain, I start thinking, you know, I've heard some of these scientific things about how sometimes people will smell something for colors or when they see a number, they'll see a color. It's your brain. There's something that's not connected right in a brain and it will do weird things like that like your senses will do two different things than what they're supposed to do kind of like a trigger almost exactly and so i even asked i can't remember if it was in the spectacular crew or somewhere else but i asked people have you ever heard of people seeing a color when they hear a noise because i was like isn't it interesting that both times i heard the train i'm seeing this purple color am i manifesting a color with my eyes because i'm hearing the train Now, I'm 48 years old. I've never done that before, so I don't know why all of a sudden I would have started doing it now. But when you and I got home, we started talking about this again, and I did some research on it. And indeed, there are people that do that, but it doesn't happen in the way in which it was happening to me. It actually is more like kind of an opposite thing where people will... Uh, see a see a color or something and hear a sound or something. It, it, it wasn't what happened to me. So I'm like, nope, that's definitely not what happened with me. And of course, I've never done it before. So I don't know why all of a sudden I would have developed this. And you and I were just sitting around talking about it. And you said, well, I did kind of see this weird thing when I was looking at the ceiling. It was like these little white streaks. Yeah, they were like little flits of white light. And they, they weren't streaks in the manner of they were streaking across anywhere. It was like little flashes of white lines, like just a little white line here, just a little white line there. And I kind of chalked it up to my eyes playing tricks or, you know, I just woke up. I don't know. And I went, oh, my God, 
I totally saw that too, but I didn't even, I was so focused on the purple color that I was seeing that I didn't really think about that I'd seen these white streaks or even ask you about them. And yet I was like, oh my God, because I really thought that was something with my eyes playing tricks on me. Because I know when it's kind of dark, your eyes will do weird things with the light, with little shooting things. Although this was, it, it was getting pretty light in the room at this point. I don't even know how to describe it because it's almost like having, let's say, a firefly that zoomed for maybe, I don't know, the distance we were at. Let's say a firefly flies for like three inches. So you see this bright little white junk for three inches and then it's gone. And then all of a sudden you would see it again and it would zoom in a different direction. Yeah. And that's what was funny is because until we sat down and we're just casually talking about it. I didn't even think to mention it because I just thought it was something going on with my eyes. I was trying to see the purple and I couldn't see any purple. So I'm thinking we were seeing something trying to manifest and that white streaking was part of it. And I just happened to see the purple. I don't know if I was more connected to it or what in my brain because of the way I like to think about these things because it was smaller than and actually it was Gertrude. I remember the name after this incident where we were talking about it. Her name was Gertrude. She was an adult and so no wonder she would be this big purple form in front of me whereas if this was a child up near the ceiling it would appear smaller I would think. Yeah, I would think so. That makes sense to me. And then I talked with everybody when we were outside before we left and told them that I'd had this experience and that I was going to investigate more about the scientific part of it because I just didn't know what was going on there. And they'd pointed out, I don't remember if it was Kathy or Dolly that had said, isn't it interesting, though, that this would show up right when you were hearing the train? Because either maybe hearing the train is a cool thing for the kids because they like trains or do they know that the killer came on a train? Yeah, that's definitely, you know, something to consider. So the house was not a scary place for us. We feel like we got some good communication. Is the Villisca Axe murder house haunted? That is for you to decide. Kelly, I had a great time in Iowa. And I have to say, I felt kind of the same way about the Villisca house as I did about Waverly Hills. I was very apprehensive before I went in because of all the stories I'd heard. And I came out the exact same way going, wow, that was cool. Yeah, absolutely. I I was a little bit on edge, honestly. And just the longer we were in the building, it just it didn't seem negative at all. Not for me. No. And like you said, I think it's how you go into these things. I don't feel like we got the same kind of evidence that we got at the squirrel cage jail. It was very different. But I think both places seem to have told us that there's something unexplained going on here. Definitely something we cannot explain. Definitely something we can't quite put our finger on. I want to encourage you guys to check out the website at historygoesbump.com. And if you'd like to send me some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. I want to thank Kirtland for your comment on the website. And we'll definitely check out that location that you suggested in Florida. It's up on the Panhandle. Sounds like a great haunted destination, a place that we can do a little bit of investigating. So definitely have that on our list. Hey, Kelly, I want to thank you for joining me again. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really do enjoy hanging out and and discussing the places where we've been. I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. I've been your host, Diane. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. I'd like to thank Colleen Golden for your one-time donation. And Misty Jones, thanks so much for increasing your donation. We're going to be moving you into a garden tomb. 
And welcome into the cemetery, Sari Gibbons. We're going to be giving you a spot on our niche wall. And William Mills and Aaron Keelier, I hope I said that right, you both will be going into chest tombs. Thanks for your support, everybody. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.